Visiting today's UW Alumni Voices podcast. I'm your host, Josh Van Campen. And today's guest is Elise Sutherland. So Elise is the founder, CEO, and director of medical device startup Stelect, which was born out of the University of Melbourne Biodesign Innovation Program. Elise undertook the course in 2017 and Stelect was formally formed in November of 2017, a business revolving around improving stent selection, accurate placement in interventional cardiology procedures. But Elise, your journey started at UWA. Can you tell us a bit about your time at UWA before you went to Uni Melbourne to start up this program? Yeah, so straight out of high school, I went to UWA and studied a Bachelor of Science uh, majoring in mechanical engineering. And I guess that's where my love for engineering and design was born really out of the halls at UWA. And, and that kind of kick-started my career. And then from there, I had a passion in medicine as well. And that kind of took me over to the East Coast. So Select is a venture-backed company creating new medical technologies aimed at improving coronary selection for patients and suffering from coronary artery disease. So where did this idea come from? Yeah, so when uh, back in 2017, I undertook a program called Biodesign Innovation, as you said. And essentially, at the beginning of this program, we're thrown into hospital settings to observe procedures and to look at the way in which clinical settings operate and and how doctors make decisions. Um, And so during this observation period, I observed several coronary stenting procedures. Uh, But it was one in particular that I guess always stayed with me. So it was an emergency patient. He was, he come in, he was having a heart attack. And so you could kind of see the chaos as doctors and nurses were quickly preparing to treat this patient. So they rushed him into theater and then it was time for a clinician to insert a stent. And for those of you who don't know, a stent is essentially, it's a metal scaffold that keeps an artery open and ensures blood flow. And so the clinician inserted the stent only to realize he'd underestimated the length. So it was too short on either side of the vessel. And basically, once you've inserted a stent, you can't remove it. So what prevailed for this patient was an additional two stents either side of the original stent, which was not only a costly mistake for the hospital, stents can be upwards of $1,500, but this patient was now at greater risk of complications. And I guess that kind of improving the health outcomes aspect was how we all kind of started about. What was that moment like? Because for a lot of people, we've only seen what an ER is like in a TV show. Is that what it's like? I mean, is it mayhem? It's ordered mayhem, I would say. Um, they all, each of the doctors and the nurses know what their, their role is, but obviously time is critical. And so, you know, and each patient will present slightly differently. So it's definitely chaotic in there, uh, but it's also very eye-opening. I mean, it's interesting from an external perspective, seeing things differently. And I think that's what the doctors love when we were in there was that we're giving a different perspective to things because they do this day in, day out. And so it becomes quite routine for them when they have someone in there questioning, why, why did you do that? What, what, what was your reason behind this decision? It's, it's interesting for them to reflect back. Yeah, was that really a, a conscious decision by you for asking, I guess, the why question to these doctors? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, they're the experts in, in this field. Mm. Um, but it's also, you know, challenging them as well to think, you know, so so much of it becomes routine for them. Yeah. That why did they do that in the first place? And then that can lead to the next question, could we be doing something better? Do they like being challenged? 
I think it's all in the way you phrase it. <laughs> uh, with clinicians in particular, you know, they're very educated and they've worked hard for their qualifications and mm. you can't kind of take that away from them. But what is, is exciting is to see them think, you know, I have been doing this something this way for 30 years, mm. but we're still having poor outcomes. So why, why is that still the case? And what are our, what are our options to improve? And I think when you present it that way and you, you're keeping them focused on the patient outcomes, that they're really, it's a really effective for them. So is there anything you, you wish you knew back in 2017 when you started Select that you know now? So many things. Um, I wish I knew how much capital and time it would take to get a project like this off the ground. Anything in medical device and research industry, it's a lot of money and it takes yeah. a lot of time before you even make your first dollar. Um, and I kind of realized that, that it would take some time, um, but, you know, we're still three years on now mm. um, and we've still got at least two years before we'd see any revenue in market. Really? So it's a, it's a long process. Uh, understandably, you know, we're inserting something into someone's heart. Mm. So there's a lot of regulatory barriers that comes with putting a product like that. Is it a competitive market that you're in, in regards to Stelect? It's competitive. Yeah. I mean, hospital budgets are going down <laughs> um, and so they're trying to do more with a little uh, less money and so every time you bring a new product into that you're competing for still the same money pool um, which makes it challenging uh, yeah. so focusing on the health economic benefits of your product is also really important for us and showing by our product not only you know with a little bit more expensive upfront but we're stopping repeat emissions patients having to re-come into the hospital for mm -hmm. further procedures and all that costs will save the healthcare system in the long term. Now, entrepreneur Elizabeth Holmes, who founded Theranos, found herself in hot water over selling a product that didn't work. Have you and fellow entrepreneurs learned from the mis missteps of Theranos and are investors and clients more cautious of startups in the medical field than in any other industry? It's a great, it's a great question. I think all fellow entrepreneurs learned from Elizabeth Holmes. And one thing that we particularly learned is to be careful not to upsell yourself. Mm. Uh, but clearly uh, Elizabeth Holmes crossed that line and that's why she's facing fraud proceedings. But I think a clear change from the Theranos story is on the investor front. So the investors in Theranos clearly didn't perform adequate due diligence before they invested in the company. And that was kind of a big misstep. And so now what you will see is uh, investors in this space being uh, more cautious, but also having a more stringent, process around due diligence which i overall actually think is a good thing for the medical device industry because it means that funding will go to the best startups who can have the greatest impact have you by any chance read the book yes no i've read it um, and i've watched the tv series about it it's a fascinating story about how quickly things got out of control and how one lie turned into a, a, a many lies <laughs> Um, but it, it has a cautious tail to it. Is it also a cautious tale for entrepreneurs to not be, I guess, blinded by the potential multi-millions of dollars that you can, can make, right? Because it seems like with Elizabeth, like she started the company, you know, for good reason. And then it just seems like when all the money started to come in, started getting blinded of having this lifestyle that she kind of craved. Yeah, I think it is a bit of a cautious tale around that. And, you know, I think it's, it's important for entrepreneurs to remind themselves why they got into this in the first place. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, that's to have an impact and to save lives and yeah. to improve the health 
of patience and not for the money. And I think reminding yourself of that is, is crucial, um, especially as the companies grow. And, you know, she had an over a billion dollar valuation at one stage. Yeah. And so try not to focus too much mm. on the worth and, yeah. and more on what you're trying to achieve. So are there leaders that you look up into maybe inside and outside of your industry? And if you do, like if you had 15 minutes to ask them any questions, what would mm. you ask them? Oh, great question. I think one of the leaders that I look up to now is Cheryl Sandberg, the chief operating officer at uh, Facebook. And I think if I had 15 minutes, there'd be so many things I'd want to ask her what her biggest mistakes are. I think we can all learn um, from other people's mistakes and how they handled that situation and what they would do differently. I think for Cheryl in particular, you know, she's managed to succeed in a very heavily male dominated industry. And so it'd be interesting to hear her perspectives on how she believes she succeeded through that and what were some of her obstacles she faced because I think women today still face some of those ob obstacles um, and, and how we can overcome them together. Is that important for you as well to be seeing these women in leadership to look up to and do you see a part of yourself in them as well? I do, I think it, it's super important to have other role models um, that were similar to you um, to look up to. And I think, you know, we're, we're still, we're come, we've come a long way, but there's still a big barrier for women in STEM and women in technology. And to have those role models so you know you can achieve is super important for young women. And, and do you have a support system or a network of entrepreneurs that you can lean on either like locally or globally? And how important is it to have a network? Yeah, so I think having a support system with a network of entrepreneurs is so important for any startup. So we have a strong network and we develop that through our engagement with different accelerators and other startup programs, as well as universities, you know, UWA, University of Melbourne. And I think it's so important because in reality, many startups would have faced the challenges that you're facing today. Um, and so it's really important to learn from them what worked for them, what didn't work for them. And then you can make more informed decisions rather than battling something that you could have avoided. Has your network uh, helped with any of your success? Certainly. I think uh, my network has helped with fundraising. Um, from what we've had to go out and raise money. I think it's really important. Um, but also just in the awards we've won and you know, the recognition we've received. Um, Network has been crucial to that. And also when it's come to employing, using our network mm. to find the right people to hire rather than, you know, putting an ad out there has been crucial for us. Is that something you've consistently done is not putting out any ads? Because I know for many people when they go to networking events, you know, there's these expectations of developing a network and hopefully getting a job. But, you know, there is a stat out there that 80% of jobs are filled by people that they know. Is that been a similar thing for you? Yeah, certainly. I think when we've gone out to look for people to bring into the company, we've always had a specific skill set in mind and is always found those people through our networks. Um, you know, they act as good references for us, which helps. Um, but it's also just that we're a small company. We can't afford a, a bad hire yeah. <laughs> as such. Um, it's very crucial for small companies. So it's, it's, that's how we've done things so far. So what are the skill sets or the type of people that you're looking for? A lot of the work we do, uh, we've been looking for very particular technical skills, yep. um, which, which helps us narrow down <laughs> our search a lot. Um, but other than that, you know, when we went out and looked 
oh, I, I looked for board members. I was looking for people with extensive medical device commercialization experience or yep. legal experience, corporate governance. Um, and so we've always written out a skill set list that we want from someone and then gone out and found who in our network matches that skill set. Now I'm curious about this. Do you tell like fellow budding entrepreneurs to follow their passion? I do. I think passion is crucial for an entrepreneur to be successful. Um, but it's always a fine line about being passionate and being delusional. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think, I think that's one, to be honest, many entrepreneurs walk, you know, you've got to be a little bit delusional if you're pushing the edges of innovation. Um, but you know, passion is always, super critical but is it being an entrepreneur also sometimes overrated i know i've asked professional athletes this in the past and they've, mm -hmm. they've said yeah being pro athlete can be overrated is it the same for an entrepreneur i would say so i think it can be overrated i think often what entrepreneurs do is we show all of our success the mm -hmm. awards the recognition for our work you know on linkedin and other social media sites but what we don't show is the times that it's three o'clock in the morning we're stressed out. We're unsure if we're going to be able to overcome whatever obstacle is in front of us. Will we have enough funds to continue next week? Those are the times that people don't see. Um, but I think it's also very important to, to show people that it's not all fun and games in the world of, you know, running a startup. It's, it can be quite difficult as well. I'm curious as well, have you ever been a mentor for any budding entrepreneurs and would you be you know, completely honest with them with the, the negativity side of this being quite open and honest? Yeah, I, I have mentored some female, oh, and still do, some female entrepreneurs and, and male entrepreneurs as well. Um, and I try to be very honest about the highs and the lows mm. of startups because you know, you, people can get through the highs. It's how you work through the lows that I think really define you and your startup. Um, and the more people talk about it, the more people realize these challenges are probably faced by every startup. Yeah. Um, and, they're, and they're not new challenges. And so we can be better equipped at dealing with them once more people start talking about them. So a new challenge that the entire world is dealing with at the moment is COVID-19. How's that impacted on your daily life in Melbourne, but also the future of your work too? Yeah, I think COVID-19 has had a great impact on my daily life as well as the businesses. Um, we've had to enable remote working, working from home um, and being more digitally connected, um, which has been a challenge. Um, the economic effects of COVID-19 will be great for us. Uh, we, our manufacturing facilities have had to close down uh, during this period, which means we're no longer working on the actual core product development that we're required to, which, you know, will set our timeline back, unfortunately. But I also think for any startup now, it's gonna be very difficult to raise capital in the next two years, mm -hmm. following the economic crisis, which has other impacts. And so for us, you know, we've had to manage how can we minimize expenses, maximize income when we're still, at, we don't generate any revenue. So it, it's a difficult time for us. I think it's a difficult time for a lot of startups around how we manage to get through this and make sure we're still surviving on the other side. So how are you managing your own, I guess, physical and, and mental health during this time as well? Because we've spoken to some grads recently, who you know, offering some tips and steps to, to manage that mm -hmm. because you are in charge of this company as well that must bring a lot of stress on 
yeah, it can, it can be very stressful. I always try and get up <laughs> out of bed, exercise every day. I think to me that really helps keep my stress levels grounded, I guess. Um, but it's also, you know, making sure we all stay connected. And I think that's really important um, for Stelect and um, everyone that works with us, making sure we're still talking regularly. We may not be sharing an office or even other startups I work with, but let's stay connected. Let's support each other through this. Um, rather than us all sitting at home, working individually and, and not having that kind of usual work life. Do you feel like this has actually brought an opportunity on how to work better as a team once we're probably over this pandemic and going back to, I guess, in quotation marks, normal lives? Yeah, I think so. I mean, our team is always from the first, uh, from the get-go, we've always been global. We've got a, a staff member in France. So we've already had to work through some of these challenges. Yeah. But I think now we, we and other companies will be better equipped at how to keep international or teams that don't all work in the same city connected and involved um, better because I think that's going to be super important, especially for small teams who need mm. to be connected and making sure that everybody's still performing. Um, yeah. Now, I asked you earlier about, you know, where the passion came from to, to start it up. And you talked about that moment, the patient had the, had the heart attack. Now, mm -hmm. during your time at UWA, was healthcare ever in the realm for you? It was. So it actually kind of was the reason I first got interested in healthcare. Um, so I did a minor in physiology whilst at UWA. So mm -hmm. my major was still in the engineering side of things. Um, and that's when I first kind of connected the dots that I could do something in the engineering field that was connected to mm. the human body and how we kind of function, um, which was really amazing. And whilst at UWA, I actually went on exchange to the University of Glasgow and did a biomedical engineering course mm. on exchange. Unfortunately, it wasn't offered at UWA back then. Um, and that kind of confirmed to me that this is the area I want to work in and that I feel like I can have the greatest impact. Um, and also, you know, for me, seeing patients, you know, use my technology and, and come out the other side better than they would have alternatively is, is enough for me to feel complete, I guess. So how do you, as a company, do you show the impact of your work? Is it something as simple as, well, this is how many lives we've saved or this is how many lives we've improved? Yeah, for sure. That will certainly come into account around the kind of the accuracy, but I think it's also, you know, outcome based. So how many people had to come back every time a patient goes back into hospital and has a procedure that not only puts a lot of burden on them, their time off work, but it's also their family, their carers, you know, someone has to look after them, um, which can be very costly. So, you know, minimizing readmission rates minimizing complication rates and therefore they don't have to stay an additional two nights mm. in hospital and, and how can we get the patient from the procedure back out to their normal day life as quick as possible and that's kind of you know what drives us you have a quite a passion for improving the healthcare system here in australia which you know is one of the best still in, in the world what are your relationships mm. like with the healthcare system here in australia yeah, I'd say we, we have pretty strong relationships both with the public and the private sector. And yeah, Australia's probably got one of the better or the best healthcare systems in the world compared to when I've traveled and looked at other healthcare systems with Select and how we can implement our product overseas. Um, and I think yeah, having that relationship is super important uh, because at the end of the day, we need hospitals to have uh, 
uptake and adopt our technology. And we want to show them, you know, how our product will help them in the long run, whether that's financially, you know, we want to make Australia the place to be that people come here for the best healthcare possible and you know, the best outcomes. And I think that's super important and why the relationships need to be formed and need to be strong. So how are you forming strong relationships outside of Australia? Because there's no doubt some markets there that you want to tap into. Yeah, um, a lot of it is actually going out and meeting with clinicians um, and the different hospital directors overseas. And so I, we have done a few trips, particularly to the USA. Obviously, that's a huge market, mm. uh, one that probably many startups uh, look at. Yeah. Um, it's also understanding the healthcare system. So we'll do analysis on government's reimbursement systems and how uh, medical technology is paid for over there because it's different in, you know, well, it's different in Australia, whether you're public or private, <laughs> and it's different in, you know, in every country. So how can we tap into the existing model? Um, does that mean we need to apply as a separate product or can we leverage current product codes to pay for our equipment? So, um, what so we do the... a lot of research. Cool. So what does the future of Stillette look like to you? Is, is there a vision? Is there a goal of yours that, you know, you want to have, you know, Stillette staff in, you know, all major cities across the globe? I, if that would be the end goal for sure. If we could see the product, you know, being used around the world in every hospital, I think that that would just be amazing. And, and to see the impact it could have, I think on a smaller scale, we'd like to, you know, get into one market and show the outcomes and, and how patients' outcomes are improving and what else we can do with that here and then kind of take it gradually uh, overseas and you know, to the US, China's a big market, um, Europe. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'd, we'd love it to be in every hospital. I think that would be the dream. Is still let your first startup because I know a lot of people have, you know, started a few startups and, you know, seen them fail and they've learned from those failures that helped them improve them today. So is still like number the first startup you've ever developed? It is the first startup I've ever developed, um, which has been unique. I've, I've personally grown and learned so much um, since 2017 when we formed. Um, and there's certainly things I would have done differently back then if I had known now, so it's, it's a learning experience, um, but I certainly don't think it'll be my last startup now. I think I've got the, uh, the love for it and the adrenaline that goes with running a startup and, you know, excited for the future. So what's the next startup that you, you want to create or that's, uh, that's not for public knowledge yet? That's a great, I have a few ideas floating around. It'll definitely be in the healthcare space, um, but first and foremost, focused on, you know, getting select to, the, to a place where, you know, it can thrive and survive and um, we're not there yet. So um, I'll be focused on select at least for the next couple of years. Now, if someone has a great idea for a startup and wants to develop it, what is the first step they must take? And is it important to be backed by venture capitalists? Yeah, I think the first step is really getting validation on the problem you're solving. You would you want to ensure that the problem, what you think is a problem, is also a problem for many others and a need worth filling. And so I think the first thing would be to speak to your potential customers. Um, but another great way, and one that Stelec did, was actually to enter startup competitions. Often they have a cash prize, which is great and can kind of help you get those initial uh, costs up front, but it can also act as validation 
for your ideas. Um, and it can also introduce you to many people you may need to know should you take this forward. So investors, venture capital, startup accountants, lawyers, you know, all those sort of things that you probably don't realise you need to know until you do. In terms of is it important to be backed by venture capitalists? At the beginning, no. I think uh, most venture capitalists would like to see some traction before you go to them. But it's certainly at a stage, it does help. Uh, it helps us to say we're backed by venture capital when I'm trying to get access to a hospital or, you know, meet with someone new and that I need to kind of impress. Um, so, yeah, it definitely helps, but it's probably not essential at the beginning stages. When you talked about, oh, you know, you go to these startup events and there's people you meet, you go, oh, I didn't realise. I need what, what was the first thing you go, wow, I didn't realise I needed to be aware of X? Oh, there's so many things I probably didn't realise I needed to be aware of. Um, I think I probably, to be honest, undervalued how enforcement reimbursement was for our company at the beginning. I always believed if you've got a technology that was going to save lives, yeah. people will pay for it. Yeah. You know, as long, as long as it's not ridiculously expensive and you're putting a price tag that's unre you know, unattainable, people will pay for it. Um, but I soon learned that's not <laughs> the way of the world and, um, you know, learned about how the reimbursement system and how there's really caps on that and just because you're saving lives doesn't necessarily mean that will they'll use your technology and so i think that's probably one of the biggest lessons i've taken away have you ever heard other people's ideas and maybe held back on i guess constructive criticism probably not <laughs> i'm probably i'm a very honest and open person um i think a lot of people have a lot of great ideas and i think constructive criticism can only help mm. we've had our constructive criticism along the way um, as long as it's not in a, in a manner that's demeaning or, you know, comes across negatively. I think if I've also had people that I've given constructive criticism to, and then they've come back with an answer and shown me, you know, that maybe my initial thoughts were incorrect. And so I think it can help people explain their technology yeah. better when yep. they do receive constructive criticism, because maybe what they were saying, I wasn't understanding or wasn't coming across the way that we intended. But yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not shy of giving constructive criticism, I'll say. Now, should people be shy of sharing their ideas or what their ideas of developing a startup are? I would say no. I, I know why people are shy. I was very shy at the beginning about talking about what our plans were and what we wanted to do. Um, but once you start talking, that's how you gain traction. Mm. That's how you gain interest. And it's also how you can validate your ideas and I think it's so crucial at the early stage that you've got other people saying yeah if you build this I will buy it mm. <laughs> <laughs> like you, you need that kind of confidence from people and so I think the more you can talk about it the better I understand that you know for some companies in likes like we have intellectual property which can be a concern um, but there's always a way to talk about it without giving your IP away now, you're also not only an entrepreneur, but you're a speaker and women in STEM advocate. What does that look like? Yeah, um, I've spoken at a lot of different events um, throughout my time, both on the company, but also my personal story and 
you know, I, I love to share what I've learned along the way and hoping that others can learn from my experiences. Um, in terms of women in STEM, it's something I'm very passionate about, um, helping, you know, increase the number of women taking up STEM careers. I think it's such an important role. Uh, STEM careers can offer all the flexibility that women want. And we should, you know, it'd be great to see more women taking that opportunity. So because you're so passionate about women in STEM, uh, do you look back at your time, maybe even during high school and university and thought, you know, you're missing a female edit? Do you, is there things when you do speak to people, you go, I wish I heard this when I was younger? Yeah, for sure. I, I can look back at my time in both high school and at university and, you know, there's very few female senior lecturers or teachers in the STEM field. Mm. Um, and so you don't have that experience of a, you know, someone you can look up to that's kind of gone through that and, you know, has a really well-established career that's also female. And so I think part of that, part of fixing this problem will be encouraging women to also teach in this field. Um, and I think that will also then encourage more women to take these courses. Are there some people or even maybe books that, some of the listeners should, you'd recommend to, to listen to that are later in STEM? Well, there, there are so many and now I'm going blank. <laughs> <laughs> Too many to choose um, Yeah, there's, there is so many and I've, yeah. I mean, Women in STEM Australia is an organisation that I often follow and they promote a lot, of, they do a lot of great public speaking courses um, and they do a lot of really great events promoting women in STEM. So that's certainly what, one. Yeah. And what about, you talked about the, the public speaking there. Uh, is that something mm -hmm. that you've had to learn over time as well? Because speaking in front of a crowd isn't necessarily the easiest thing for people. No, it's not the easiest thing to people. And it's something that I've developed over time. I think being involved in Stelect and, and you know, having to raise money certainly helped me develop my speaking skills very quickly. Um, but now, well, pre-COVID-19, I was probably doing a speaking opportunity every second week, mm. um, speaking at a different event. Um, and then during fundraising, well, you know, you're pitching 24-7. Um, so the more you do it, I think the easier it comes. And there's also some really cool tricks that you can do to kind of help. Uh, I do a lot of tricks to help me space out my wording and I can often speak too fast when I get nervous. Yeah, are you strategic with some of the places that you do accept speaking engagements to? And is it all voluntary as well? It's not all uh, voluntary, but I do a lot of voluntary work. I am, I am selective. Obviously, I still want to run a business, so I can't do everything. And if I said yes to everything, unfortunately, select <laughs> wouldn't get the, I wouldn't get the work done that I need there. Um, so I'm definitely selective. Um, but I think it's about taking the opportunities that I feel like I can have the greatest impact. Um, and that, that's where I focus my time and effort on. Now, some of those women leaders that uh, people should be following on, you know, LinkedIn or some of the books that you potentially read, who, who are they? So one would be Dr. Margaret Evans-Galia. She's a scientist actually, and she's got a very interesting story. She's a big women in STEM advocate um, and someone that I've always looked up to Michelle Gallagher, she's uh, the CEO of a medical kind of health science digital company. Um, and she's also been a great friend and mentor of mine um, that I often go for experience around um, 
just ha how to, you know, succeed in, in male-dominated industries and how, you know, we can face challenges together. How important has it been for you to have a mentor? Crucial. I think it's crucial to my success, as at least, I think, having a mentor to bounce ideas off or sometimes, you know, it can be lonely running a startup and to be able to say, hey, these are some of my ideas. Am I insane? <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, a bit of a reality check sometimes and to be able to have people you can call that have experience and, and you know, will happily take your call is super important. Is it like an official mentor-mentee relationship or is it, like, I know what it's like being in a mentee position. You look up mm -hmm. and you go, yep, you're a mentor to me, but sometimes the mentor doesn't feel like that. They're just simply offering advice. Yeah, I don't think I've got like an official formal kind of uh, relationship and they may not realize how much I look up to them as mentors as well. Um, but, you know, I think their advice to me is crucial and critical and it's helped me get to this point and I'll continually <laughs> rely on them for support as I move forward. Now, after listening to this podcast, many people probably start Googling Elise Sutherland. What should they know about you that they cannot find on Google? <laughs> it's just a great question. And I've thought about this one. Um, one thing that probably people wouldn't know about me, so I have an identical twin sister, uh, which can often be confusing for people when they don't know that, especially at speaking events. I've spoken at events before and people have gone up to my sister to ask questions about the presentation. Um, so it's always a bit of a funny one. Um, that, yeah, probably. Uh, how, how does your sister react to that? Does she play along with it? Sometimes she does play along with it until I give her, give her the look to be like, tell them the truth. Um, <laughs> but no, normally she's very polite. I'm lucky to, to have, her, have a sister that wants to come and support me at different events that I'm uh, working at. Now, did you two get up to any mischief when you were younger, changing names between people? <laughs> yes, we did. We've, uh, you know, I think did the classic twin thing, swap classes in school, um, <laughs> you know, sneaking around with my parents, pretending we're the other one, trying to, you know, trick people out. Um, but I think, you know, that's all part of the fun of being a twin. If you don't do it, it's... <laughs> Did you ever trick your parents? They were pretty good. So my dad is actually an identical twin as well. So oh, wow. he's got the very, very big twin family. Um, so he's always been adamant about making sure that they could tell us apart. <laughs> but I'm sure, I'm sure we would have tricked them once or twice. Whether or not they're willing to admit that or not is a different story. Yeah, I think as parents, they'll probably never admit it publicly, but maybe privately to one another. But yeah. Liz, that's all the time we've got now. If people want to find out more about Stelect, where's the best place to go? Yeah, jump on our website, uh, www.stelect.com.au um, or add, send me a message on LinkedIn and we can, we can chat further. Now, Liz, thank you so much. You're a strong leader and, and have an innovative and strategic thinker who, you know, you've successfully taken an idea into a venture-backed business, creating impactful technical innovation with a large-scale commercial impact. should be absolutely proud of what you've done. It's absolutely amazing. And given the current COVID-19 environment we're, we're living in, it shows that you're adapting quite well to this and you've got an amazing story. And I'm just glad we're able to share this with the listeners and uh, look forward to seeing the future of Select and whatever the next startup is that you begin. Yeah, thank you so much for your time today and have a good everything else.